us pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. And as I think about what we have just sung, all of creation bears witness of you. And Father, even in this strange time in which we live, your plans are marching on. Father, I pray we who are ambassadors of the Jesus Christ, we who are representatives of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we who are your ministers, who hear the words of the Apostle Paul, understand the urgency of the day that each of us live in. And yet, Father, in this text, as critical as it is, may we bow our knee to you, understanding that your ways are not our ways, and yet your ways are only perfect. Thank you. Thank you for this great salvation. And thank you for the privilege of serving the Most High God. To your glory and praise. Amen. Verse 14, chapter 6, 2 Corinthians. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light and darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We are in a uh, time in the church today in America, which is extraordinarily similar to what the church in Corinth was dealing with. Uh, we sometimes like to think that the Bible is this ancient text and things that it dealt with, uh, we don't deal with. Uh, truth of the matter is, um, the church in America, at least, is eyeball deep into what I would classify as the Corinthian catastrophe. Um, instead of the community of Christ influencing the society, the society is influencing the community of Christ. Um, I hear it spoken in great eloquence on that we must cooperate. We must tolerate I remember a few years ago, if you've been in Colorado very long, it's been a number of years ago, it's actually when we were still downtown, um, there was an amendment had showed up on the election that would remove tax-exempt status across the board. There would be no longer any 503Cs. Okay, so everybody would have to pay property taxes. Okay, that would include everybody. There would be no charitable organization exemption. Of course, the church is, oh, my God, what are we going to do? 
So we had this great meeting. All right. You have all these churches. But then there was the CEO of hospitals. Because hospitals property is considered charitable. They don't pay property taxes. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. We're going to put the churches are going to align with the hospital. And then the keynote speaker was a 503C2. She was the president of Planned Parenthood. An interesting group we've got together. <laughs> okay. And I, I, I kept thinking, you know, somewhere, Either a holy angel or a demonic angel is laughing their butt off. Okay? And that's the only thing I could figure. Um, and, and I thought, that's what happens when man starts doing it. You will end up with these uh, bizarre alliances. What we have going on in the church right now is that evangelicals believe that they need to embrace the culture. And make the culture feel comfortable. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a hermeneutic, a method of study that I call, if I can get the lost to like me, maybe they'll like my Jesus. Okay? And you, you, you first say that, it's like, that sounds kind of cool. Really? Do you realize that they carried your Savior out on a cross? I'm thinking they may have had some animosity towards him. What do you think? And he's not going to get along with this culture. And anytime you take a stand there. That no, I'm not embracing the culture. The first thing you get accused of. Trust me. I know this. That you are attacking the unity of the church. Well, if it's my responsibility to make the church unified, we are in trouble. Okay, because he says he would unify the church. And if he's counting on me to get that done, um, he knows better. Anytime that we try to embrace our culture, to make it feel better, to tolerate for the sake of the gospel, even tolerate false religions. You are corrupting Christ by that compromise. And it's disobedience. In our outline, it is senseless. It is idolatrous and it is rebellious. Other than that, it should work. But I want you to think about it now from the Christian perspective. He says separate. And he's talking about false religions, and which there is a plethora of them. Because there is no benefit. I was reading some uh, scholarly people and they were talking about how foolish this was of an endeavor. Um, some guys like J.I. Packard, uh, Arthur Pink, uh, Linsky, um, you know, John Calvin, and a few other these guys. And they have these wonderful, great dissertations on uh, this separation and how we sometimes fall into it and we want to tolerate and compromise thinking that that will further the gospel. And I've come up with my own word for it. 
and my scholar, scholarly intellect. I think it's stupid. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just that simple. Um, I read through this and it says righteousness and lawlessness. Really? There's a partnership there somewhere? Um, light and darkness. Well, yeah, they get along well. I'm thinking that there could be a fellowship there. And you know that there is a harmony between Christ and Satan. Okay, so you see where my scholarly intellect says, God, that's stupid. Listen, the other thing I want you to see here in 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18, is that it cuts us off from God's blessing. If I do not separate... It is so foolish because you are cutting yourself off from the blessings of the relationship with the true and living God. Okay. Here is God, your father, who wants to embrace you. Here's why I want to look at this. Look right there. It says, and I will welcome you. I will welcome you. And and it literally means um, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, this word. But it's it really means to receive with favor. It has to do with opening of the arms to embrace, to fold in. That's what it means to welcome. And it is done by God. It is similar to Ezekiel. Chapter 20, verse 34. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel on when Israel repents from idolatry. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. He wants to bring you back in. Let let me hold you tight. And what we're looking at in 2 Corinthians is God telling you and I, make the break. Don't be involved with the false systems. God's arms are open wide. He wants to pour blessing of His love upon those who separate. When you look through this text, verse about 16 through 18, you see phrases. Um, they're phrases from the Old Testament. And he brings the phrases together. They're not direct quotes. They're pieces of the Old Testament teachings. And, 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 and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's bringing them together and he's bringing them together in this inspired text. I myself, and with a lot of looking and reading and whatever, believe that he has Samuel on his mind when he brings this text together. In Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. Okay. What you have in that text is Nathan talking 
to David explaining to him a covenant with God. A lot of times in the New Testament, you will find uh, the writer of the New Testament says, the Lord has said, or the prophet has said, bringing the authority of the text to bear in the New Testament. The New Testament writer will never quote authoritative anything but the Old Testament. Paul is drawing from the Old Testament. He's drawing from a general sense. He's combining scriptures together. He's blending them together to an absolute inspired truth. And it is to separate. And it's been going on that way for a long time. If we make a clean break, if we make a clean separation, the Lord will open his arms and pour out blessings. He will fold us in. Now listen. This is crucial to your ministry. This is crucial to any Christian's ministry. Do not be involved with the false. With false religions, false systems. Stay away from it. Have nothing to do with it. Do not bring it into your church. Do not bring it into your life. Nor go into it. Okay? There's no other way. Listen, I would be an unfaithful pastor to you. If I let this church get involved in any form of violating this. Okay. And I'm accountable to God. If I brought you into the situation in which you forfeit blessing. Do you understand that? Why would I do that? I have to give an account. Yeah, I didn't want them to be blessed. So I led them astray. Brilliant. That. I want you to think about that because. Do you understand why I am so picky about who fills this pulpit when I'm gone? I, I have all kinds of opportunities, but I don't have anybody to fill the pulpit that I'm comfortable with right now. And that's what? No. Do you understand that? I mean, it isn't that I am this great, magnificent orator. That's not the problem. The problem is I don't need storytellers. I don't need comedians. I need people who will bring forth truth in its simplicity. And that's part of what I do. I have to give an account. If I'm gone and someone's teaching in my place while I'm gone, I have to be extraordinarily comfortable with, I know what they're going to teach is truth. Because there is nothing worse than coming back the next Sunday or two weeks from Sunday and saying, let me explain everything that was said to you is all wrong. And then have to go biblically through, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. Okay? Because the first question you're going to ask is, then why did you let them up there? Listen, I get criticized when I take stands. Okay. <laughs> but after almost 19 years, that's all right. <laughs> I guess I'm just getting used to it. Because I look at it from this perspective. There's an awful lot at stake. 
I have gotten into trouble with my stance on focus on the family. I have gotten in trouble with my stances on Roman Catholicism. I have gotten in trouble with my stance on promise keepers. And I can go on and on and on and on. And everybody keeps saying, well, you're just trying to be divisive. It's my spiritual gift. I have to give an account on how I have shepherded you. And I must be faithful to take you all to still waters and to green pastures. I need to take every one of you to a place of blessing. And I don't want to give an account for misplaced tolerances. In the name of compassion. The word that we translate sin means to miss the mark. I don't want to do that. I do not want to be responsible for any of you forfeiting God's blessings. So I try to be clear in what scriptures say. (laughs) Once or twice I've managed. And I want you to be in the framework of what Scripture says. And it's not that I'm a legalist or a form of legalism. It is because I want you each to experience spiritual benefit of God's blessings. There can be no real blessing in the life of any believer who is in an unholy partnership and an unholy alliance with an unholy, false, idolatrous people. It doesn't mean I don't have contact with the lost. That's not what I'm saying. But I do not have partnership, fellowship, or harmony with any of it. And if I try... Or I try to lead to that direction in the name of compassion and tolerance for unity of our society. I'm causing a forfeiture of God's blessings. Now, listen, when you forfeit God's blessings, I want you to understand it doesn't mean he's just going to strike you dead. Okay, doesn't mean all of a sudden economic collapse or anything like that. You just will be outside of his blessings. You will not have peace. You will not have the joy that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You will be anxious. You will be worrisome. You will have exercise in a, a, in a great power fretting. And it will absolutely get you nothing. But my biggest concern is you will be absolutely useless in ministry. You will have no fruit and you will never know the fullness of God's blessing. You will never understand Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 where he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine. But there is reward For the one who stands and doesn't compromise. Because there will always be peace. There will always be joy. And nothing in the world will be able to touch it. That text there you see, verse 18, he says, 
I will be a father. Do you understand what that means? My father died when I was 12. Okay? Um, I feel like I kind of got the short end of the stick on that one. All right? Because I had a blast with my dad. Okay? I'm, we, he, <laughs> we did some quail hunting together. and uh, he, uh, he rode a motorcycle and he bought me this mini bike, a Honda 50, uh, that... Uh, <laughs> it was just an amazing little machine, actually. <laughs> um, and and we just had a blast together. I mean, that's that's the only way I can. Uh, he uh, was retired from the Marine Corps, uh, twenty twenty seven years, something like that. And I got to see uh, down at Camp Lejeune uh, amphibious uh, assault. And you sit in the bleachers, and you're just like, wow, man, that's like a bunch of rednecks there, um, you know. Um, I got to fly in a Chinook. I got to fly in a um, Huey. Uh, I got to ride in a, um, a, a tank called an Antos. It had six recoilless rifles mounted on the outside of it. It looked like a toy, uh, but they used to be able to take... Uh, they, that's when Vietnam was going on, and they would take and load the recoilless rifle up with buckshot and could just cut a hole through a jungle. <laughs> he let all six go at once. And he, I remember him going through this pine grove thing in Camp Lejeune and fired this thing and it made a tunnel. You're like, wow, <laughs> that's kind of cool. <laughs> I want one of those. So, you know, th- those are coming to some of the things that I remember about my dad. But like I said, uh, he died when uh, I was 12. And uh, I, I, I've always thought about that. And then I read this and it says... God will be a father to me. You ever thought about that? That's just, that's kind of mind boggling. That's hard to kind of get your head to wrap around that thing. Okay, because do you understand what it is to be in the fullness of that relationship of being a child, knowing the riches of God? You ever ever thought about that? Wow, you know, the water fits in the hollow of his hand, the span of his hand is creation. It's Isaiah 40. And that's my daddy. Call him Papa. They call it, we translate it Abba. And it's, it's sort of, I was in Jerusalem a few years ago, and I see these little kids running around going, Abba, 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 trying to get candy. And, and, and as soon as you hear them say that, you're like, well, I can do that with God. Can I have some candy? <laughs> I'm in Jerusalem. <laughs> sure, you know, I'm like really close now. <laughs> Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 4, or chapter 7, verse 14 and following. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with a rod of men and the strokes of sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house, your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. What he just did there is amazing. What he did is King David, your son will build my temple. But his son's throne will be forever and ever. 
He says, Solomon is going to be awesome, but wait till you get a view of Messiah. And I'm your daddy. I'm your daddy. He's promising to David a son. He's promising to David a great son, Messiah. When God made the promise to David and that he would have a son that would build his temple. Remember, he told David, David's great passion was what? To build the temple. And God said, no. The blood of innocent men is on your hand, David. But your son will build. And I will put my name there. And he's reminding David even here of the importance of personal purity and being separate. Separate from him. He says, if your son stays away from iniquity and separates... He will know the fullness of blessing, the fatherhood of God. And his throne will be forever and ever. Iniquity connected with the rod. It's similar to letter to Hebrews. He says, God scourges those he loves. You ever thought about that? You know what that means to scourge? It's a stick with a bunch of leather strings off of him with metal and bone tied in the end of it. He's going to rip the skin off of those he loves. Yay, daddy. <laughs> Only if you don't separate. You know, I tell my kids when they were all preparing to leave the house and go off on their ways, I said, you've got two options here. You either can stay on your knees before a holy God or you can be driven to your knees before a holy God. He said, David, you have a son, Solomon. If he obeys, I shall bless him and not chasten him. And God will embrace him with blessing. He will wrap his arm around him and fold him in. All of those who will separate themselves from sin. As Christians, we are children of God. God is our Father. We are His sons, His daughters. And all of the riches of that family are from God. Do you ever think about that? You know, we used to sing in this church years ago, it's two pastors ago. <laughs> We are the family of God. We used to close every service with that song. We are the family of God. And you just sing it. We're all part of the family of God. And, you know, everybody just smiles and we say hi and go out and hopefully get reservations for lunch. But if you think about that, we are the family of God? Really? God is my father. But... If I defile or you defile that communion, you forfeit blessings. We have these little cliche things. Can anybody here outgive God? But for whatever reason, we don't like to separate sometimes, and we're willing to forfeit that blessing thinking that who can outgive God? 
God is our father. We are his children. We must separate from any and all religious partnerships or fellowships. Don't be a part of it. If it's false, if it does not glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, leave it alone. If it glorifies man, because that's the two options you get right now. Right now, there's a big move in the evangelical church to glorify men. Because if you don't separate, you will be chastened and you will forfeit his blessings. This promise that you see here given to David, it's in regards to Solomon. Now, listen, if you take the average Christian today and you say, "Okay, you got two guys, they're related. David and Solomon. Right now, most of us know David. And the first thing we think of is Bathsheba. (laughs) And then the second thought you think of is Uriah. Okay? And you think, man, what a knucklehead. I mean, you got the Goliath thing, and you got the Ark thing, and you got all of these things, and you go, wow, man, how, how could you be such a moron? Okay? But then we think about Solomon. Turn, turn to be king. What would you have from God? What did he ask for? Wisdom. He wanted wisdom. Dude, I'd want like gold bars. You know, how many, you know, just tear up the pavement in heaven. Huh? Huh? Send him down here and I'll be rich. Okay. But this guy, he asked for wisdom. Then he writes the book of wisdom. Whoa. Okay. He has two personal visitations from God. That's pretty good. So if you were to weigh Solomon and David... Which one would be closer to God? We would all say Solomon. But David was a man after God's own heart. I want to show you something. If you think. If you think. That you can play. With the false. Go to 1 Kings 11. I have witnessed this so many times that it brings tears to my eyes when I think about it. When I watch men think that they can play with this. God says emphatically, be separate. Do not be bound with unbelievers. The wisest man who ever walked the planet... Believe he could do it. Chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Amorite, Edomite, Sidon, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel. You shall not associate with them. You shall not go among them. Nor shall they go among you, for they will surely turn your heart after their gods. That's pretty simple. But look, the man of wisdom, look what he says. Solomon held fast to these love. But God, I love them. He's such a loving, compassionate.
compassionate man. Linsky called him the supreme compromiser. Unholy partnership, an unholy fellowship, and he had alliances one after another. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom, did not listen. He even had the daughter of Pharaoh. Really? Isn't that like the golden calf and the sun god and Eubius and a few of them other odds and ends that hang out there? He consistently was exposed to all kinds of false religion. He told Israel, do not associate. Do not associate either way. Do not bring them into you. Do not go into them. We've already looked at that. Their society could not be separated from their religion. The Corinthians. Okay, let me tell you something today. Our society is not separated from false religion. Okay, I know this is going to burst your bubble and ruin your entertainment dollar. But do you understand what Satan's religion is? It's not Satanism. It's not pentagrams and circles and stars and goat's head soup. Satan's religion is humanism. What runs this country? What is our government based on? You can't separate it. Have you ever watched the election? Did it just tear you up? Woohoo! Right? Because it's based on humanism. We may throw a side order moral in there. See, I'm moral. But the truth of the matter is, you are in a society that is engulfed in a false religion. And he says, be separated from it. That's why I don't get into politics. Vote your conscience. That's all I'll tell you. And you know what? There's times you have to, uh, I can't vote. I, I can't vote. I, you know, you just look at it and go, hey, this is goofy. The Corinthian society could not be separated from their religion, similar to today. And you know what? Their society, as our society, is dominated by our deities. We have deities. They're all over the place. Things that we believe are worthy of our worship. That is a false deity. Solomon loved these women. I think that's kind of grand. He had 700 wives. That ought to keep love busy. But they didn't have Valentine's Day. Okay? And then he had 300 concubines. But he loved them. He loved them. He wrote the Song of Solomon. That was when he was young. When he was ready to die, he wrote Ecclesiastes. Okay? Because by the time he got done with 300 wives, or 700 wives and 300 concubines, it's a vanity, vanity, all is vanity. 
Listen, I know five guys right now. Okay, I, I was thinking about this. Five guys I know right now who only had one wife. Okay, and their wives turned them from the faith in Jesus Christ. One wife. So you really think Solomon can do it with 700? They had their own gods. And he was worse than David. 700 wives, princesses, and there were 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to other gods. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord God as the heart of David, his father, had been. Hmm. For Solomon went after Ashtarod, the goddess of the Sidonites, and after Malcolm, the detestable idol of the Amorites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David, his father, had done. We look at David and think he was an adulterer, a murderer, a cheat, and he was this and he was that and he was despicable. And I can't believe a man would be so blessed of God and he would turn his back on God like that and do these things inside of God. And look at his son. His son did worse. His son is the one who built the temple. Solomon was so wise, he had been around truth so long that he flat out ignored it. Solomon built a high place for Chishmash, the detestable idol of Moab, on a mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Moloch is the one that was in the child sacrifice. Solomon built an altar for Moloch. This is the wisest man in the world. Thus also he did all for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. The wisest man. If you cruise on over to verse 31. He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and I will give you ten tribes. Verse 32. But he will have one tribe for my sake, for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel. Okay? He, did, he split up the kingdom, tore it out of his hand. You will be the king of Israel. Nope. You will be the king of one tribe. But he did get Benjamin. 
Verse 37 says, I will take you and you shall reign over whatever you desire and you shall be king of Israel. Then it will be that if you listen to all I command and you walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commands and my as my servant David did, that I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David. Here's the problem. He didn't do it either. <laughs> Jeroboam didn't. You never, if you go back through the history of Israel, you take the ten northern tribes, you will realize that they never had a good king because they never listened to what God said and they never separated from their own sin, let alone from the sins of the foreigners that were among them. And because of their rebellion, God tore it apart. He tore it apart. He told Solomon, you will rule forever. Your throne will be established forever if you listen to what I said. He picked up 700 wives and started worshiping their gods because I cannot imagine trying to keep the peace between 700 women. Nothing personal. I just sit there and go, dude, don't tell me how wise you are. That's right up there with stupid. Okay? Because you buy one one, you get 699 ready. Okay, And I have seen five guys that were strong in Christ and married and the woman took them away from Christ. And these guys, these guys knew what the book said and they did not stand their ground. And you know what? They're doing it because the women want to assert the authority of the man. That's part of the curse. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. But that's part of what they want to do. And they will pull and pull and nag and drag and tug and yank and pull. And and then the guy says, I quit. Whatever you want to do. Let's go get some grapes for Buddha. Okay, what would happen with 700? And then you bring all of their beliefs, all of their deities in. What are you going to have? This fellow, the fellowship is unholy. And because it is unholy, it is cursed. And if you don't separate, you will never know his blessings. That's what Paul's telling us. He is your father. You will have the riches of his family. I will care for you. I will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could think or imagine. But you have to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You cannot have fellowship with unholiness. You cannot have partnership with. You cannot have harmony. Our Father in heaven desires to pour His gifts on His children. And He will. He promises. If you will not be bound to unbelievers. Unequally yoked. Why? It's senseless. It's idolatrous. It's rebellious. And it is of no benefit. Chapter 7, verse 1, you will find out that it is thankless if you do it. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to see that even Solomon in all of his wisdom rebelled against the holy God and paid a horrific penalty for it. Father, help us to see that. 
Help us to understand that if Solomon could not stand, none of us can. Father, also help us to understand that David had a heart after you. Father, I pray for each of us. That will be our passion. That will be our motive. That we will have a heart after you. And that, Father, nothing in this world can move it. Help us, Father, to bow our knees before a holy God. That, Father, we may understand with amazement the blessings of you who only spoke existence into being. Thank you, Lord, for these illustrations. Thank you for our brother Paul. Father, and thank you that you have given us this warning. We praise you. Help us in Christ's name. Amen.